It really matters for people to know that you care about them. Whenever you look at lists of you know, characteristics of a good leader, qualities of a good leader, and you'll see things on there like integrity, ability to delegate, good communication, self-awareness. But what I almost never see is caring. And honestly, I think it's the most powerful. People want to know that you care about them. You know, I think back on the experience with my teachers, that's what it was. I felt they actually cared about me. I wasn't just kind of one of the kids, you know, another name, another desk, another whatever, but they cared about me as a person. I've been fortunate enough to arrange some time here today with, uh, with Shelly Archambeau. Uh, Shelly is the former CEO of Metric Stream, Reed Hoffman, who all my listeners very likely know of, who's the co-founder and executive chairman of LinkedIn. Well, Reed describes uh, 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 Shelly as the woman who pulled off the most incredible Silicon Valley turnaround that you have never heard of. So that alone will hopefully make for an interesting conversation today. I will let Shelley talk in, in more detail as we go about the kinds of things that are grabbing her interest and leadership efforts these days. Uh, but Shelley, thank you for joining us today to um, share some of these stories and conversations with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Drew. I've been looking forward to it. I'm a, as, as I'm sure you are, and, and again, a lot of the listeners are uh, readers of the, the very, very fine business author, Adam Grant, uh, and I get uh, Adam's newsletter, which he calls Granted. Uh, I've, I, I got his newsletter recently and was, even after arranging to have uh, Shelley join us today, I was excited that her, her new book, Unapologetically Ambitious, was a book that Adam, who I know uh, reads a ton of these things, moved Shelley's book to the very top as the first book he mentioned worth reading. So, Shelley, tell us, uh, you know, one, what was it like to, to see Dr. Grant uh, 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 grant you that status? And, um, and, and tell us what it is in the book that you think he might have, you know, grabbed onto there. Oh, certainly. Well, first, I have to tell you, it was exciting. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put it. It's like, oh, my God, <laughs> right. when that happened. It was so, so wonderful. Um, and goodness, I think what is, what's different about the book that I wrote is a lot of times we hear stories from leaders about how they you know, went from wherever they were and became the leader. And it always just seems so straightforward. Oh, I took step one, step two, step three, and bam, I was there. <laughs> um, but honestly, I wanted to talk about strategically trying to improve your odds because I've always felt that the odds were not in my favor to get what I wanted out of life. And therefore, was very, very intentional about the decisions I made, you know, how I set goals, the plans I put in place, therefore, what decisions I made, trade-offs, etc. And in the book, I wanted to share all that. So I literally talk about how I thought through strategically the approach to my career and the approach to my life. And I share what worked and what didn't work. Right. I also share 
the, you know, I'll call it the, you know, good, bad, and, and ugly, but also the whole person. So this isn't a book about Shelley becoming CEO, and all you hear is the professional side. I talk about all those personal things that come in and out of your, your life and that happen because I'm one person. You know, I, hate, I even hate the term work-life balance because to me, it sounds like two separate things that you're trying to keep even at all times and life just doesn't work that way. So this book is about how do you think about your life holistically and make decisions professionally, personally, you know, all of it to make it all work together. And I am try very hard to actually give very specific takeaways and nuggets so that you leave after just a chapter with, all right, here are a few things I can go do tomorrow. So it's very tactical from that standpoint. Got it. Wow. That certainly hits on all the things that make, make, uh, that make people pick books out of the, you know, there are thousands literally of these that are written, whether they're self-published or not. But that notion of being able to not only get the as you say, the holistic, you know, bordering literally on the emotions of doing this, but also being able to translate it into practical tips, that's, um, that's going to be obviously something you stressed and something that will, will pay off uh, very nicely. You, you mentioned uh, at the top of that um, answer something that struck me. You said that, that you, you basically didn't start out you know, you not that the deck was stacked against you or anything, but can you talk, you know, knowing that a leader's strength is, uh, is in this case, her vulnerability, can you talk a little bit about what put you back, if you will, or, or was working against you as you, uh, as you stepped into your career? Sure. And, you know, it's interesting where that came from, that view actually started with me very, very early. So I, when I grew up, I was in elementary school in the 60s. My father didn't have a college degree, uh, but he was very ambitious. And we had a family of four. My parents had four children in less than five years. So mom was home with the kids. Dad was out there trying to support the family. And we moved around a lot. We ended up in a suburb of Los Angeles that this was in the mid-60s. So, you know, just a year or so after the Watts riots, civil rights is all in the air. Vietnam is all in the air. Women's rights are all in the air. Everybody's mad about something, <laughs> if you will. And here I am, the oldest of four. And the place that we moved into for the first time was basically an, an area and a school where I was the only black kid in my grade, if not in the school. Mm. And because all this was swirling on around me, from adults to kids, you know, everybody let me know that they didn't really want me there. Right. So when you talk about the odds not being in my favor, it was really stemming from that, that I realized that, hey, the odds weren't in my favor. People weren't going to be out there trying to help me do anything. And therefore, it was going to be up to me. So that's how I approach things when I then went off to, to college and then ultimately to my career because I found that if I set a goal and put an objective in place and then worked hard towards that, that I could actually make things happen. So I actually decided early, thanks to some advice from a guidance counselor, that, um, that I wanted to run a company. And when I looked at people who ran companies, they were CEOs. So I said, okay, I want to be a CEO. Kind of ignorance and aspiration all at the same time. <laughs> right, right. 
Well, you know, you 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 revealed something there that is certainly key in 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 my work and for people who who do uh, tune in here. You said that you realized, you know, nobody nobody was there who was going to help you or nobody wanted you there. And then you said, I realized it was going to be up to me. Um, quite, quite candidly, not a lot of people, at least in the world, that, that I uh, end up trying to help out in, not a lot of people engage in that level of, of what we call self-talk, meaning when they're confronted with adversity, as you were even as a young child, you know the stories as well or better than I do, that people lose belief in themselves. They lose belief in the notion that it is up to me, and then we know all the stories of what goes from there. Do you have, here's the question, do you have a sense, whether it's your father or that guidance counselor or wherever it was, Really, where was the, uh, the, that moment or set of moments that helped you realize that you could guide yourself uh, and that it was up to you? Yeah, it came, honestly, it came from a, a few places. So one, my parents. My parents were, uh, what would I say? They, they really tried hard, especially mom. Mom was home raising us, but she really tried hard to, to do what she thought was right. And one of those things was, you know, as a kid, you come home, something happens, somebody pushes you, something, whatever, and you say, mom, it's not fair, right? Because something happened and maybe they didn't get in trouble or whatever it was. And mom would say, really, just deadpan, you're right. Life isn't fair. It wasn't any of this, oh, let me give you a hug and let me make it better and that's a shame and that's horrible. It was a, you're right, life isn't fair. It's just a fact. Mm. And so it was like, oh, okay. Um, and then that was followed up with, so what, what are you going to do about it? Um, and so having that at home as kind of here's the message. And then I was fortunate in that I ended up, you know, it was probably third grade is the first teacher that I remember who really helped me through this because I moved there in first grade. So the first couple of years were not good. But my third grade teacher, um, was really made an impact on me and then another one in fifth grade and so the combination i think of a couple of good teachers who really took an interest of my parents with this reinforcing of okay you know it's it's up to you what are you going to do um that combination is what really helped me realize that okay i actually i actually have a power i, I have the ability to do something i now need you to figure out what that is and how i do it and so and so off you off you set uh, on, and again, we could go uh, job by job and place by place, but I, I, I'd, I'd like to fast forward and pick up on this notion of what you learned even as a third grader. Imagine now, and I, I would love for you to tell, uh, to tell us about the time, you know, the work at Metric Stream and the places that put you in this position to, to, to you know, uh, demonstrate this leadership. But I'd like to know if that third grade teacher, and you said fifth grade, if they stayed with you to the extent that you found yourself saying similar things as a leader. I always just my bias, I always find that we, if we ever wonder how to lead and we're stuck, that we should think about what our teachers taught us. <laughs> because great teaching is great leadership. 
Now, absolutely. The little uh, enough of my bias. I'm curious what what if you were able to take those lessons about you know the world is unfair, for example, and be able to look at your employees and be able to have the same conversations. Was that your experience at all, or was it something different? Um, it, it, it's similar. So I wouldn't say there were terms or phrases that I used as much as it was approach. What I learned in those early years is it really matters for people to know that you care about them. You know, it's always it's interesting to me because whenever you look at lists of you know, characteristics of a good leader, right? Qualities of a good leader. Uh, and you'll see things on there like integrity, ability to delegate, good communication, self-awareness, right? I see a lot of things. But what I almost never see is caring. And honestly, I think it's the most powerful. People want to know that you care about them. And, you know, I think back on the experience with my teachers, that's what it was. I felt they actually cared about me. I wasn't just kind of one of the kids, you know, another name, another desk, another whatever, but they cared about me as a person. And that is something that I have always tried to show because I genuinely, I tell people, I genuinely like people. <laughs> And so I do care, right? I do care about them, but I try to do things to let people know that I do care about them. And I think that makes a difference. Yeah. Can you um, let us in on one of your not, probably not so secrets around caring? Can you, can you rewind the movie a little bit to Metric Stream or the things maybe even you're doing these days? I see you're on various boards at Nordstrom and Verizon and still leading, still caring. Um, what's, what's your go-to caring, uh, action that, that huh. still holds true to this day? You know, interesting. So number one is listening. And while that might seem, of course we all listen. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. Right. And we definitely don't listen with intent. You know, we are such a multitasking world. And so many times you have in your own mind what you want to do, what you want to accomplish, that you half listen. And people know it. You can tell. So the first thing is just really listen. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. One of the things that I used to do as a CEO, um, when, you know, somebody comes to my office, when it's not something that's scheduled. So it's typically knock, knock, you have a minute, you have whatever. All right. And they come in and they start talking. Now, depending upon how I'm hearing them, right, back to the listening, if it's something straightforward, it's a business thing, that's fine. But sometimes people come in and, you've, and what you're hearing is more of the, I'll call it the venting, right? Or the, the sharing, the more of the, what I would call the emotional connection kind of piece. And so what I will say typically is I say, hey, wait just a second, which hat am I wearing? Am I wearing my CEO hat? or not, all right? Now, why did I do that? I would do that because I wanted them to know that, hey, I'm also a safe place. You know, I can take off the hat for a minute. If you just need to talk, we're talking, and it's, this is not something that, you know, the hat's on and I'm judging everything that's happening here, right? Right. Um, it's a really simple thing, but I think it really mattered to people. 
And sometimes, because people got used to it, they walk in and say, okay, see, CEO hats off. Here's what I need, right? Um, but anyway, but those are, that's just like an example. I got it. I got it. You know, it, it, you said, again, I'm, I'm, I'm keen in on a couple of these things you're saying. And so let's hear a little more, if you don't mind, because it is certainly front and center for everyone, especially these days, uh, about the that weird balance between work and life. You said there isn't, it isn't a, basically a 50-50. Jeff Bezos says that it's a continuum, right? It all, one thing leads to another. When those uh, employees at Metricstream or now or anything come to you in the world we're in now, and I'm sure you're a very, even here on the podcast, you're a very approachable and, and giving communicator. How did you, how did you help clarify what is basically an unfair thing, right? That it isn't perfectly balanced. What do you tell people? Mm. Well, I tell them that I don't like the term. So I don't believe in work-life balance. And, what, and people were like, what do you mean? It's like, because what is a balance? A balance is a fixed structure that is even on both sides at all times. Static, right? Life doesn't work that way. Never has, never will. So why measure ourselves against that? I believe that term was just created to make us all feel perpetually guilty. <laughs> uh, so I think about it more as work-life integration. You know, your right hand is work, your left hand is personal, and you put them together and intertwine those fingers. And now, what are the priorities that I've got? What do I actually have to go get done? How much can I fit in, in the day, the week, the year? And therefore, what am I just not going to do? But I think you have to look at it together because there will be moments in any given hour, segment of the day, day, where all of a sudden you need to focus on and then fill in the blank, whether that is something at home, whether it's something at work, something with the community, you know, et cetera. Who, nobody keeps a spreadsheet on, okay, I gave this thing three hours, so I got to give this three hours. I mean, that's ridiculous. Don't even try it. I think it's much more important just to think about your life holistically, figure out the priorities, and then make sure the priorities get done, and then figure out what you can let go, what you're not going to do, which is just as important. I got to ask, what in, in, in this obviously very busy uh, involved world that you're in uh, between all your, your work and, and your authorship and everything else, what is something that if you had more time, you know, the question, uh, what, what would you do if you had more time? <laughs> That's a dangerous question to ask me. <laughs> Why is it dangerous? Yeah. And the reason it's a dangerous question is I'd probably end up taking on another project. Ah. <laughs> um, now, and that project, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's work, personal, whatever, but as it, as it is, I have a lot of projects because there are a number of things that I believe need to get done. And therefore, I want to make an impact and, and get engaged and involved. So if you give me extra time, odds are I'm going to go put something else in that, in that block. In the, in the project block. <laughs> That's, That's right. Good. good. 
Well, I've got just a couple questions left here. I mean, we can go on a, a super long time, but let's go back to the to the actual book writing for a second. And my my selfishness is is I certainly as other people have heard, I'm, I'm working on one, so I'm looking for all the 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 no secrets and mm-hmm. sit down and write right. But how did you go from someone who would just take on another project to what? Everyone, even the great authors, have 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 said and have told me, you know, it's the hardest thing, one of the hardest things you'll ever do. What what motivated you, other than someone trying to be caring, right, and 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 give ideas? There, I'm assuming there was a different, deeper motivation. Am I right? Well, yes and no. I told you up front, I'm very goal oriented. And frankly, being an author was never a goal of mine. However, I have always tried to be accessible. Um, And all through my career life, if you reach out to me, email, used to be phone mail, you know, whatever it is, uh, I respond. Now, what was happening though, is I got more and more responsibility in my career and, and life. I could respond and I still made that time, but I couldn't meet with everybody that wanted to meet and pick my brain, hear my story, right? Get this advice, et cetera. And I said to myself, okay, one day when I get to phase two, I'm going to write it down Mm. so that I can actually share when people reach out to me, instead of just saying, ah, happy to answer a quick question, but I don't have time to meet. I can say, but if you want to know more here, (laughs) that was my whole thing. It was just another way to share and frankly share at scale because I didn't achieve everything I've done by myself. I had a lot of help and support along the way. Nobody does it by themselves. And therefore, I want to share with others how they too can achieve their aspirations by being intentional and setting goals and making trade-offs, not sacrifices, trade-offs and choices all along the way Mm. and show them how to do it. Mm -hmm. It, it, it. It just strikes me as knowing just a little bit about how involved and how much resilience and persistence it takes to share, uh, it strikes me as, as perhaps obviously something very tangible you can point to as, as not that you need to prove that you care, but the fact that you took the time and the effort to record the caring, right, to, to really get it down on paper. Uh, it, it, it's a, it's a, a tribute to you. Uh, before I forget, uh, the book, Unapologetically Ambitious, does come out on October 6th. Uh, my, my audience is not the biggest one you're probably going to talk to, but they are certainly active learners, and, um, and they will uh, obviously be well served by uh, picking up a copy of the book wherever uh, the books are, are, uh, are, are gettable these days. Plenty of places. <laughs> right. The good plenty news is of, available everywhere. <laughs> yeah, plenty of places to do it. I've got one more um, just little uh, thing to play out. If you don't mind going with me on this, this is kind of fun. I was telling you before that in all the years that I've uh, taught leadership and helped uh, f- uh, folks fortunately like you to, to think about how to be better leaders, uh, I try to make a point through a, a three-part question that I ask uh, people to, to, to answer in a, if you will, a classroom setting. But it's just you and me now, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, the, the 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 first question I ask people to just freely associate on is, and I'll I'll give all three at once, and then you just 
respond, okay? Okay. Uh, the first one is, who do you think of when it comes to, in your mind, as the best leader ever? That's the first one. And when you think of them, question two asks you, um, what is it that they're doing in your mind's eye as you think of them that moves them to the top of the list that made them that uh, great, the best uh, leader that you can think of? And then as they're doing that, question three is, how does it feel, literally feel, to think about them doing that thing that moves them to the top of your list? Who is it? What are they doing? And how does it feel? Oh, my goodness. The best leader. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick... Brad Smith. He's currently the chairman of Intuit, was the CEO of Intuit for a long time. And the reason, so the second part of it was, you know, why, what does he do, right? So Brad is an example of a caring leader who leads from the front when it needs to happen, and he leads from the back when that's what needs to happen. Mm. He is, he, he, does, he does the work and he does a really good job of inspiring, motivating, and giving people the respect and their due, mm -hmm. right? Along the way. Got it. And when you think of Brad in your mind's eye, I'm, I'm feels like you you know him given your background i'm 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 sure you spent time uh, learning of him and from him and all the rest but how do you feel when you think about him as you say leading from the front and the back um i feel confidence well so here's what i do with all the answers usually there's 20 answers that i write on a flip chart it's about the size of you know, you put on these workshops at Metric Stream, I'm sure, and LinkedIn and all the rest, as, as Mr. Hoffman certainly saw his way to do. Here's the point. Um, the column that I am most interested in, because the answers on the left are obviously widely varied. Number one answer, by the way, in all the years I've done this, is Martin Luther King. Mm. The number two answer the often is, he spoke in a way that instilled uh, emotion and, and a positive or optimistic feeling. That's the answer there. But the reason I'm, 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 I'm taking you through this and the listener through this is because you did this too, right? You were able, uh, through your actions, uh, and there are plenty, I'm sure, plenty of stories that the reader will find in, in the book, um, that help people feel a certain way. And when people feel that way, they can do great things. But they have to feel confidence. They have to feel, most popular answer is inspiration. And it can only be instilled by those behaviors. So, you know, thank you for, for, for walking a bit through the stories. I'll end with one last question. What was the, hard, what was the hardest part of being a leader? Uh, the hardest part was carrying the weight 
of people's lives. Yep. And when you felt that, what did you say to yourself? When I felt that, it was, okay, that's like a strap yourself in and let's go, right? Because everybody is counting on you. That's right. That's right. Well, you have been so good in sharing this story. Any podcast or appearance that you're going to be able to make uh, as you are out talking about your book is going to be well served. And I'm glad you you took time, Shelley, to to join us uh, to join us today. Any final words of thought as you continue along your way of telling the story? No. Well, thank you. Um, you know, my my big advice, and this is to people in general, really is. Own your career. Own your career. Nobody else owns it but you. And you're the only one that can optimize for what it is that you want. Not your boss, not your mentor, right? Not a sponsor or spouse. It's you. So be proactive and decide what you want and go get it. I love that. Thank you. Shelly Archambault, again, the book is called Unapologetically Ambitious, coming out uh, on October 6th and uh, between me and Adam Grant and everybody else uh, it's, it's going to be a, a read well worth your time so well worth our time having you here today Shelly on Tell Me What to Say thanks very much thank you Drew